Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Good morning or good afternoon. We are hours before tip-off of the NBA championship series between the Cavs and the Warriors for the fourth straight time meeting up in the finals. Eighth straight time for LeBron James, and the Warriors are 13-point favorites. Gino, are you tired of seeing these two clubs match up and LeBron being in the finals every freaking year, it seems? Well, it's funny. It seems again like in a weird way before when we did the NBA preview before the uh, the playoffs started, in a weird way, we were both kind of right again. You know, we we were talking about how you were saying the, the NBA, I don't even care because it seems like the same thing happens over and over again. But the, the main thing we were talking about is that the playoffs weren't really very good in previous years. We actually had an awesome playoffs this year. And I, I guess if you're going to have the two teams meet again in the finals, Golden State and LeBron with Cleveland, then we got about as exciting as a way to get there, right? Both teams were down double digits on the road in Game 7 and really did, I don't know if they had to dig deep or if the other teams really, maybe the pressure got to them a little bit because we saw those teams miss threes at a colossal and, you know, like, all-time rate. Disgusting but, rate. Um, but, you know, there, there are... Uh, one The one thing is in particular with the Houston game that I noticed, um, and I saw a lot of people that were ripping Houston for continuing to miss the threes, but the one thing that I did notice is in the first half, they were playing much more aggressively. They just had a, a higher energy level than Golden State did, and what seemed like it was happening a lot of the times, and even into the third quarter, when they did drive, or there were at least... Three hardened three-pointers that looked like he got fouled on that weren't called. And there were probably three more fouls in the lane. So what I noticed is, first off, all those missed threes probably was a little bit wrong because there were three of them that he got hacked on, that he either should have been shooting free throws that shouldn't even have been a uh, three-point attempt, or if you don't get fouled, maybe you make the shot or it's a different opportunity. It's a different shot. But if you're driving the lane, Mike, and they're not getting fouled calls then what are you supposed to do? You know, it's not a high percentage shot to take a mid-range, a mid-range, you know, jumper anymore. You don't have Chris Paul, and that was the real key. He was the guy that, in the midst of their skid, when they kept hucking up threes, he would have been the guy to get into the lane, get a little floater, maybe, you know, get that 15-footer just to kind of calm things down. And not having him there, that was the difference between winning and losing. Because I honestly think, as we both felt before the series, I think they would have beaten them with Chris Paul. I mean, it's hard to say they wouldn't when they were up 3-2 before he got hurt. Uh, I'm stumped here because I think you're being way too kind to the Rockets. And they were a team that I thought had a shot. I probably shouldn't have put as much faith in Harden and Chris Paul as uh, as I did but because these guys do not come through when it counts the most year you, in, year out. I know that's been the conversation, but you know what? I'm tired of defending these guys. And when I say you're being too kind, when you're talking about, you know, hey, look, playoff basketball is physical. 
These guys went seven for 44 from three-point land. So, okay, if it's 10 for 44, it's not that much better. I mean, But if it's 10 for 44, they win the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the difference. They didn't get beat by 25. And, and well, you know what? Like, I like to compare it a lot to a horse race because, you know, let's say in the middle of the game when Houston's up by 8 to 10 right then, there are three or four possessions in a row where they kind of got hosed on back-to-back-to-back bad calls. I'm not blaming everything on the refs. No way. Because Golden State had to win the game. Curry and Durant and Clay, they, they, those guys had to make the shots and Houston didn't. So Golden State did win. But the whole time I'm watching the game, I never felt like Golden State was really playing with an energy. They really gave a crap, honestly. They came out very lackadaisical, and I didn't think they were deserving. They, they didn't – watching the energy – they didn't, to me, deserve to win that game. And it, I didn't have any rooting interest whatsoever. You know, I'm, I'm a Laker fan, everybody knows, so I'm not, I'm not. But I got frustrated because I felt like if I was a fan of Houston, it would have frustrated me because I think Houston really, if you're, you know, the, like the from the basketball gods, Houston deserved to win those two, either one of those two games. The way they came out in game six and game seven, they were, I mean, they were playing defense at an incredible clip. And, and that's what I'm going to give to Houston versus a team that, you know, like Toronto, who just no-shows. Houston did not do that. Uh, no, they didn't and, roll over. And that's the thing. And so when in the first half, Harden was dominant. And he just got tired. Honestly, that's really what it was, Mike. And, you know, it's hard to rip Chris Paul because Chris Paul won game five for them. You know, he just it, the the frustrating thing with Chris Paul is one thing that we've seen again, and you know, being someone who was uh, heavily involved when he was in the Lakers a lot, it's just Marcellus Wiley says this all the time: your best ability is availability. And if Chris Paul's not there when you need him most, then is he really a guy that you want on your squad? Is this the fourth or fifth year in a row when the end of the year when it really matters in playoff time, he's not available? So. That, that's the key. Does it really matter how good he was in games two, three, four, five if he's not there in game six or seven? So it, it's one of those things where it's so difficult to be hard on guys for losing to what might be one of the top three teams in history in a game seven. You know, we we just get so used to seeing these teams. We're so sick of seeing Golden State in there that we want to get mad at the teams that lose to them. But honestly, getting to game seven, losing without Chris Paul – if you look at it on the grand scale, is not a, a fail for Houston. And for yeah, LeBron, you know, but everybody keeps talking about Chris Paul being out, but there's there's not as much talk about Andre Iguodala being out. You're right. right. And we but, saw and when he was out when he was there in Game One, we saw how they totally went in and ripped the hearts out of the Rockets at home when they were coming in with so much energy and expectations. Immediately, they set the tempo with him in there, and he was out for the rest of the series. And so. You know, I, I think I think the, they kind of equalize themselves in in a, in a sense, but they'll also mm-hmm. forget something. The Warriors did not, and the reason I say equalize is because Chris Paul will win you as many games as he'll lose you, and I've seen that over the years many many times when it comes to crunch time and big games. But here's the thing, I agree with you about the Warriors. They were very inconsistent. I don't know if they actually put together a complete game from wire to wire. They, they had good right quarters, now. yeah. You know, they, and good spurt, good runs, but they didn't. You know, but even with that said, and the fact that they shot fifty percent from the free throw line in, in in the seventh game, they still won the series. No, no, that's, and that, that well, that's when you're when you're talent. that good. That's just the thing is that they yeah. have they have such a margin of error. You know, they're not. 
James Harden can't have one bad half. And Houston, he has to be great for Houston to win. Yeah, it's like beating the Patriots, right? Like, you're going to have to play turnover free ball. You're going to have to minimize the penalties. You're going to have to convert on third downs. Yeah, every sport kind of has their keys when you're trying to take down a superior team. The Warriors are just that. You and know, you think about it, if, if sorry to interrupt, but if, if, the, if they don't get another unbelievable spurt from Clay in game six, they're not even in game seven, most likely. You know, can pe- people get too linear when they look at scores of games? Because especially with teams like Houston and Golden State, like the momentum and parts of a game can shift quickly and then boom. 10-0 run is like, it's like nothing for these teams. You know, these yeah. teams that can hit the threes quickly and that can score like that. So I try to compare it a lot of times to, to, a, race, to a race because to me, that's the easiest way to compare it. If a horse is in the middle of a race and they get stuck in some trouble, they get bumped around, something bad happens, sometimes they get beat by 50 lengths and it doesn't matter, right? You can, you can put a line right through it and say, that horse was in the race and had... They had a different, just a slightly different trip. Not only would they have not beaten, been beaten 50 lengths, they might have been able to win that race, you know, especially when you're talking about humans now. And we're talking about people, things get in their heads, a bad call, two bad calls. All of a sudden you start to slouch, you start to sulk, and then boom, Golden State just puts 15 on you in a row. And that's that happened really in, in both games. It happened in yeah, back no, to back absolutely games. right. Absolutely same, right. Same thing, you know, a bad call or two, a missed three or two. You could see the body language for Houston starting to go because they had to play so hard and at such a rate without Chris Paul. The only way to beat them, Golden State, without Chris Paul was for Houston to say, we got to lock down, play incredible defense. We got to try to shoot 53s, and you know that's our game plan. That's the blueprint. It didn't work. They stayed, They stuck by it. It was, it was getting to the point, though, at the end where you're just like cringing, you know, because the game wasn't wasn't out of reach even in the fourth quarter they're only down by like five by seven it was still close and they every they keep getting they weren't even contested threes that was the most frustrating is that there were legitimate shots right you're wide open they're they're good shots they're shots they've been taking all year and they just couldn't go down yeah and what's surprising to me is somebody with uh you know playoff championship experience like uh, ariza over nine from oh, three point land, oh, over 12, 12 overall. I felt over 12 so in field goals. Bad for a right. oh, Harden, man. two for 13 from three point land, 12 for 29 overall. And, and Gordon, Gordon, two for 12 from three point land, nine for 22 overall. The only it's guys a- that had decent games that showed up were Capella. You know, he had a good game, and, uh, and, and Tucker had a pretty decent game as well. But and so, like, what is that when you see that? It, is it, it's a combination of, nerves tired just a bad game like, like, like a little combo of all of them right because you can't say when it's a game seven like that you can't say that there's no nerves or there's no pressure coming into it because we saw the same thing on the other end where nobody from boston and really cleveland i mean boston you had tatum and for, and for cleveland you had lebron and then jeff green was one of the random you know running mates who decided to step up nobody else really had a pulse and um it's funny when you see because there were a couple moments where you saw Golden State like in game six when they were down by double digits their body language started to get bad and Steph even mentioned we kind of were yelling at each other a little bit it started getting chippy so man it's fun when you see these games that are so intense and you see now the pressure starting to get the people Um, well let's, let's talk about the other side then 
do, do you think it was the pressure that got to Boston eventually and that did no. them in? Or were they just a year, you know, from, yeah. from, from being They there. overachieved, man. We all, like, from, from the very beginning, they went to game the seven games with Milwaukee. We thought Milwaukee was going to beat them. We thought every series that Boston's been in, we thought they were going to lose. Not because they're... Well, don't say we, but no, no, I know no, what you I'm mean. Saying, in general, as a yeah. betting public, the whole, yeah. because they were, they, were, uh, they were dogs in almost all of their series. That, I mean, as a betting public, because they don't have their studs. Yeah, and, when you're missing your two best players, you're not supposed to go to Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, and, and it's one of those things where it's easy to look back. But when we look back again, Le, this these can be said. LeBron is awesome. What he did was incredible. But you can also say that the East wasn't very good this year. I mean, th- those two things can exist. It doesn't take anything away from LeBron. That doesn't mean if the East was a little bit better, he wouldn't have been able to get through it or vice versa. But you, you do look at the East and you go, well... A Boston team led by Jason Tatum with a, a roster that that is fine. It's a playoff roster, but that's not an NBA Finals type roster. And they almost made it there a lot on the fact that one, they were playing a LeBron Cleveland team that was probably one of LeBron's worst teams that he's been on. Uh, and two, they're just a really well coached team. Uh, Brad Stevens is an excellent coach. They have a great uh, foundation there. You know, people uh, you hear a lot of times about. Um, um, you know, what is the, what is the character like? Um, what is the, uh, what is the system like here? And and you, you kind of get it when you look at Boston, they're a defensive team. They really don't care who steps up. Uh, some days it was Rozier. Some days it was Tatum. Some days it was Horford. Some days it was Brown. It's, it's really anyone. And I think that also might've been kind of their downfall. They just, they really didn't have the stud, even though Tatum's good. He's so young. They didn't have someone to kind of go head and head with LeBron when he dug down deep in Game Seven. So, um, as a Laker fan, I begrudgingly say Boston's in as great a shape as you could possibly be in. But remember, I, I saw a good picture the other day that somebody posted when the Heat beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, and there was a picture of Harden, Westbrook, and Durant, and they were like, and it was the three of them together, and they were sad. And you could see them, and somebody said, oh, these guys will definitely be back. You, you just never know. You know, when you looked at that team, when they lost to the Heat, I think it was 4-1, to one, you had to think, man, with Durant, with Westbrook, with Harden, these guys are going to be back here four or five times. But a whole roster can shift, as we've seen, in, in not even in offseason. So you, you never know what's going to happen in the NBA nowadays. And it's amazing that the NBA Finals aren't even really the big story in the NBA with all this Brian Colangelo, the burner account, the fake Twitter, uh, the, the fake Twitter accounts. His wife is now maybe involved. This is I love conspiracy stories, Mike. This is a really fun one. Yeah. You know, uh, to me, uh, I, I don't like a story like this coming out right now and kind of maybe taking away some of the attention from the finals. You know, I really don't know the truth of that situation. It's a weird story overall. I really don't like it. I think it would be really petty if uh, somebody, you know, uh, higher up in the front office is doing that kind of nonsense to even think that, like, you know, a tweet or two would shape or influence the public perception in any way is just uh, delusional. Uh, and it's a lot, whole hell of a lot worse when you get caught. So for me, I'm not really uh, thinking about that too much. You know, just one more thing on the Celtics and on the East. You, you, you were talking about, you know, the East was down this year, but East down every year. I mean, I don't remember the East being strong probably since uh, the Celtics big three. And even then, you know, the, the East wasn't that strong. I mean, East hasn't been strong in a long, well, the, long the time. Miami, the Miami teams were strong. 
Well, but yeah. but what we're talking about is not an individual team. We're talking about a conference. As Overall, a as a conference, it's been really, really weak for a very, very long time. So you had good teams here and there. The Celtics were a good team. The Heat were a good team. The Pistons of the mid-2000s were a good team. But as a whole, the conference hasn't been very good in a long time. Where yeah, I mean, when you think about the West, it's been really strong for a long, long time now. Even Even teams like, you know, you knew every year the Jazz were going to be in it, you know, with Malone and Stockton. You knew every single year that there was going to be probably 10, 12 teams that were going to be super, super competitive. You can't say that about the East. It's always been in the last 15, 20 years, maybe even top two, top three teams are the only ones that have a shot. Yeah, at and, the and, most. and then even in to make it even more this year is if you look at the two, the second and third best teams were teams that were at least a year away. Boston, oh, yeah. Philly, you know, Boston, oh, yeah. Philly. So he didn't really, and in Boston didn't have Hayward or Kyrie Irving. So, you know, I know a lot of teams have injuries and we were doing, we were playing this game on the other side too. You know, Houston missed the Mabamute. Like everybody, everyone's going to have an injury or two at the end, but missing Hayward and Kyrie Irving is as big of injuries as you can, you know, and not really having, and going through a Toronto team that we just, like everybody just expected a little bit more from, you know, this was the year there where Toronto was actually going to be able to put up a fight and actually make it a series. And they had home court and, and, and what I, the one also a little bit of impressive too, is that LeBron's team in general, wasn't very good. It wasn't a wheat, a strong conference, but he did have to go on the road a couple times. So you got to give that to him too. He did have to go on the road um, multiple times in order to get to the finals. I just, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, anytime that. somebody brings up Toronto, I'm like, get out of here with that Toronto nonsense. They, it's a same, it's a same story with them every single time they get into the playoffs. So for me, I don't view them as a viable contender unless it's something just so changes. hard when you all get beat by the same guy. You know what I mean? It's like it's hard to gauge because everybody in the last eight years has gotten beaten by LeBron. So like, if Toronto didn't face LeBron, if Toronto you know had to face Philly or Boston. Could they have beaten them and then lost to LeBron? I don't know. It's, it's just hard to say because everybody gets beat by LeBron. We just saw Toronto get killed by them. I think they've just got like a, you know, like a, phobia, a LeBron phobia. They see him out there and mentally they shrink and they cower. They just can't deal with him. They're Perhaps. Like, in their in, in my opinion, the best, series, they were okay. You know, yeah, they, they weren't like terrible, but they were just as good as any other team out of the East. They just, they just cowered. You know, guys see him across the court from them and most guys – struggle up and they, they kind of cower into a ball, but that wasn't the case with Boston. At least hey, if you're mentally that fragile, then you don't belong in the, in the conference finals or, or in the NBA finals, right. you know, but bottom line, we had, we have, we had the best two teams in each of the conference finals. We have the best two teams from each conference that's, that's in, likely, yeah. in, 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 the, in the NBA finals. So I'll tell you what, let's take our first commercial break and come back, talk a little Chicago bears, and then we'll save our predictions for the uh, so so much suspense by the way who are we going to predict for the NBA finals but we'll we'll talk about the series and what to expect and maybe some of the issues that uh, can come about ramifications wise from whether the Cavs win or or likely lose um, let's explore all those things after we talk some NFL let's take our first commercial break and we'll be right back with Chris Chainafelt from the NFL Draft Bible. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? 
Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. We are going to shift gears and talk a little National Football League with Chris Janefelt from the NFL Draft Bible. He's got some expertise and insight into everything related to the Chicago Bears. Chris, what is up, my man? You're on with Mike and Gino. How are you, bud? Hey, Chris. Uh, doing well. What's up, Mike and Gino? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Delighted to have you talk a little NFC North Division. Let's start at the top quarterback position. How are how are we looking with the progression of Matt Trubisky? Mitchie. Mitchie, excuse me. <laughs> Mitchell. His mom wants you to call him Mitchell. Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell. Uh, yeah, I mean, so far so good. I mean, uh, last year was a, a little tough on the eyes, and, and rumors uh, have it that you know he didn't fully grasp. The, the playbook that uh, Dal Loggins, the former offensive coordinator, put together. Um, but, of course, last year was supposed to be Mike Lennon's year. It was supposed to be a, a redshirt year, you can say, uh, for Mitch Trubisky. Uh, anyways, uh, Mike Lennon's horrible, terrible quarterback play uh, changed that after uh, four or five games last year, and Mitch Trubisky played, I believe, the final ten games is what Mitch Trubisky started last year. Um, and, and, again, like I said, I mean, there were moments – that you're like, okay, we can grow with this, and then there's also moments that made you cringe as well. Um, but that was last year. That was with the old regime, uh, regime uh, with, with uh, John Fox as the head coach, and uh, now they got Matt Nagy, a, a great offensive mind, coming from the Andy Reid coaching tree. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, so far so good. I mean, I mean, we're only in OTAs. Um, but, uh, you know, Matt Nagy bringing in this uh, RPO type of offense that we just seen the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl with with their backup quarterback in Nick Foles. Um, you know, uh, we, we were talking uh, during the break, you guys. I mean, uh, you know, you have a friend that's a Bears fan, and uh, he put it perfectly. I mean, as of right now, I think this is the most optimistic that Bears fans have been um, really since uh, maybe 2010, uh, back, back when uh, the, the last time they were in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, oh, go so- ahead, Gino. Yeah, and that's my buddy Matt Kleiman. I got to give him a shout out. I know he's listening out there. He's a big Bears fan. So when you talk about Mitch and Trubinsky, um, what what are some of his 
strengths kind of as a quarterback and maybe some of his weaknesses? Like, what do you think are some of the things that we that you could do as Bears fans could see and maybe focus in on positives from him, what we've seen, maybe negatives from him? What more do you need to see from him? Yeah, I mean, uh, talking positives, I mean, he, he, he literally has what you want in a quarterback. He's the perfect mold uh, that you look for as a quarterback. Great athlete, very strong arm. Um, you know, it's kind of tough. I mean, you know, he was only a starter one year at North Carolina. Uh, you know, played the final ten games last year with the Bears. You know, it was supposed to be kind of a redshirt year for him last year as they uh, went out and made the splash signing of Mike Glennon uh, in free agency. Um, and, you know, he, he, there, there's rumors out there he, he didn't fully grasp the playbook last year. And, um, you know, so, so when talking negatives, it, it's kind of kind of tough. I mean, th- there were times where he kind of looked at one receiver and you knew the ball was going to him. You knew the ball was going to that receiver or that tight end. So, uh, you know, if he could kind of just make the defense guess a little bit more, which I think this, I mean, Dow Loggins' offense uh, last year, the offense coordinator. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't anything sexy. So uh, that, that that's going to be a big change up with uh, Matt Nagy implementing his offense here in Chicago. But uh, you know, again, we're only in OTAs, but uh, you know, th- things are looking things are looking up upwards for this uh, Chicago Bears offense uh, led by Mitch Trubisky. I mean, uh, you know, he, he, at the start of OTAs, he mentioned that uh, you know he's never been around this type of coaching staff. Um, so even he himself uh, seems pretty excited for uh, what what comes ahead uh, with the Chicago Bears. Now, speaking of uh, not-so-sexy, I want to quickly talk about the center position. I thought that Ronas Grasso was going to be an outstanding field general. Obviously, he had a, uh, a terrible injury, unfortunate for him. What does it say that they had to use their second-round pick uh, on the center position, uh, the kid out of Iowa, uh, does that mean or suggest that uh, pretty much Ronis is is not good to go, or was this an insurance policy? Yeah, I don't think Ronis Grasso will be a bear come week one. Obviously, we still have uh, the entire uh, training camp to go through and preseason, but I'll be pretty surprised with the depth that they have on the offensive line if Ronis Grasso is a Chicago Bear come week one. Like you said, they addressed the uh, center position, James Daniels, uh, one of the top centers. Um, one of the top offensive lines in the 2018 NFL draft out of Iowa. And, uh, you know, they, they've actually come out pretty much immediately after they drafted him saying, actually, we're going to start James, uh, Daniel's career off at guard. Um, and with Harry Heastan, one of the top offensive line coaches in the NFL, in the country, uh, coming over from Notre Dame, um, you know, you, you certainly feel confident that he can convert uh, James Daniels to guard. So, um, it, it so does that mean that Cody Whitehair is going to be the starting center exactly, then? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Cody Whitehair, uh, he's entering his third year in the league and, uh, you know, coming out of Kansas State, one of the top guards in the country. Um, Bears draft him in the second round and uh, he's forced to play center due to injury. And his first year, his rookie year, he was phenomenal. He, he was great at it. He, he struggled a bit last year. So we're going to see what happens in year three for Cody Whitehair. Uh, does he go back to how he performed his rookie year? Um, which is really, really good, or does he continue to struggle like he did a little bit last year? And maybe they do uh, end up trying the rookie second-round pick, James Daniels, eventually at center. But uh, as of right now, it sounds like he'll be uh, starting his career out at guard. So it's kind of funny that they switched uh, a center to a guard and then converted a right. guard to a center. 
<laughs> you know, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that, I mean, that's going to be really, really key. I need to always remind myself, Mitch Trubisky, not Matt. For some reason, it's just one of those names where I always call him Matt and I have to correct myself. Ah, but, no uh, you know, the, the, the line play is going to be very uh, critical. Uh, looks like Let's also, stay on the offensive side of the ball real quick. Yeah, it's, Mike, it's, it's, you they've don't... gotten some help with the receiver position as well. Huh? Exactly. That's exactly where I was going uh, because it looks like, I mean, when you talk about the top, the, the talent-wise, just compared to last year, you have Allen Robinson coming in. Miller was uh, one who my friend Matt was really high on and wanted to ask him, what are your thoughts on Anthony Miller? And then White, um, who has always been someone that was projected very highly. So with those three, like, where do they stack up? What is kind of the, the tier right now um, for the wide receiver rankings with the Bears? Yeah, I mean, it's really night and day compared to last year's wide receiver depth chart. Uh, as you mentioned, Allen Robinson comes over from Jacksonville. He actually practiced for the first time since tearing his ACL with the Jaguars um, just yesterday uh, in OTAs. Uh, they bring him in on a three-year, uh, $25, 28000000 million deal in free agency. Um, they add Anthony Miller in the draft, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, they wouldn't have drafted a wide receiver that high. They, they traded back up into the second round to grab him. Um, if they didn't like Cam Meredith, who suffered an ACL injury, was their number one receiver last year, uh, walk and uh, sign with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, so they trade up and grab Anthony Miller out of Memphis. I mean, this is a guy that he's going to be a, a day one impact player for the Chicago Bears uh, offense, I believe. Uh, you know, he, he can kind of do it all. I mean, uh, you, you watch his film. He, he has huge hands. That, that's really the big thing about Anthony Miller. Uh, he has huge hands. I believe he's about 5'11", 200 pounds, um, can, catch, can, can catch the ball phenomenally. And, and the thing about him, though, is that he's a willing blocker. This is a guy that was a walk-on at Memphis, earned a scholarship, turns into a second-round pick in the NFL. And, uh, you know, watching his highlights or watching his tape from Memphis was really fun. And uh, I believe he'll be a, a day-one impact player for the Chicago Bears offense. They also added... Uh, Taylor Gabriel from the uh, Atlanta Falcons in free agency. That should be a, a fun little gadget guy that the Chicago Bears and Matt Nagy has a lot of fun with uh, to use in their offense. Probably seen more so as a, a, a slot receiver, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, use him on the outside as well. Uh, and then for Kevin White, the former first-round pick, uh, seventh overall, and uh, he's only played in five career games. It's been a tough Tough road for uh, Kevin White, but, uh, you know, Matt Nagy spoke about him yesterday saying he looks really good and that uh, he's going to be able to fit in this offense um, as well. I'm not exactly sure what to expect out of Kevin White, though. I mean, basically, the the way I look at it, and I think the way most Chicagoans or fans of the Chicago Bears look at it is whatever we get out of Kevin White is a bonus. Um, So if he has a big year this year, um, you know, I, I find it hard with the depth that they now have at wide receiver that they go out and re-sign Kevin White. Obviously, we, we got a long way to go. Um, this is just pure speculation. But, uh, you know, I, I could see him having a big year this year and then him cashing out somewhere. You know, some, some team want to throw a, a two-, three-, four-year deal at Kevin White. Um, you know, so be it. I don't see the Chicago Bears doing that. But, but again, we have a long way to go. Anything can happen. And, of course, injuries are a part of the game. But uh, the way I look at Kevin White – um, things are looking or, or sounding great so far in OTAs in these practices. But again, this is OTAs. These these are non padded practices. We'll see um, how he looks in training camp, in preseason, then ultimately the regular season. Um, whatever we get or, or they get out of Kevin White is really just an added bonus. Is, is the way I'm looking at it, though. 
I know you're a little bit limited on time here, uh, Chris. So let's uh, go to the defensive side of the ball. First of all, what are some of the uh, big offseason moves that you think will be impactful for the Bears on the defensive side? Well, we, we can just start off with uh, the first-round pick, number eight overall, Roquan Smith, uh, linebacker out of Georgia. It's interesting, I think, um, really ever since Ryan Pace arrived here in Chicago, he always used his first-round picks on kind of project players, uh, Leonard Floyd or, or Kevin White starting off with, you know, a guy that had a very limited route tree in West Virginia, wasn't really uh, sure what to expect out of him in year one, and again, we've seen how his uh, career has played out. It's been unfortunate. Year two, he drafts uh, Leonard Floyd, uh, a pass rusher that, again, uh, needed to add a lot of weight. Not a ton was expected out of him in, in year one, although he's panned out very nicely. Again, if he can just stay healthy, um, that's that's certainly key for uh, Leonard Floyd. And then last year, Mitch Trubisky, uh, again, a guy wasn't expected to start right away, wasn't expected to have much of an impact on the team uh, last year, and, and he kind of gets thrown into the fire. But now this year they, they select Roquan Smith, the linebacker out of Georgia, who uh, as of yesterday was working with the uh, number ones. I believe he's been working with the number ones all offseason long, um, or at least since he's become a Chicago Bear what, a month and a half, two months ago. Um, so this is going to be the, the first first-round pick that Ryan Pace has selected that's going to be kind of ready and expected to, to have an impact on, on the team uh, almost immediately. I mean, uh, th- there was a need at inside linebacker. Uh, he'll be uh, partnered with Danny Trevathan there in the inside on that defense. And, uh, you know, so, so we could just start off there and, and talk about Roquan Smith, talk a lot about Roquan Smith. But, uh, again, a lot is going to be expected out of Leonard Floyd, um, rookie Eddie Jackson from last year had a big year. And, and then the, the big question mark is who's going to be playing opposite side of Leonard Floyd, though? Who's going to be the other starting defensive end or outside linebacker? Uh, and that's, that's a big question mark. I mean, they, 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 they added uh, Aaron Lynch from uh, – he had some experience with Vic Fangio from their San Francisco days. Um, if I were to guess, he's probably going to be the day one starter the way we see it now. Um, but they also drafted – Kylie Fitz, six-round pick out of Utah, who could uh, ultimately become a, a big-time player over time. It's kind of a low-risk, high-reward addition there uh, with Fitz from Utah. And I think there's some reason to be optimistic on the defensive side of the ball because if you look at their month of December, the most and they had five games in December, the, the most points that they gave up was uh, 23 to the Vikings. Um, they actually were able to, to, to shut down the 49ers during their high-powered kind of streak there with Garoppolo, only gave up uh, 15 points, uh, and they had games where they gave up uh, 7, 3, uh, and 20 points. So, I mean, they had a pretty strong December despite playing three games on the road. So, nice momentum going into the 2018 season. Yeah, I mean, this was a team that was looked at as, I mean, maybe top 12, maybe not necessarily top 10 defense, but uh, the way they stacked up, especially with uh, uh, an offense that struggled week in and week out, uh, you know, they, this was a defense that Vic Fangio had ready to play uh, every, every week, every game, uh, no matter who was under center, uh, no matter who was the uh, opposing, or no matter who was uh, lining up on the uh, opposing team's uh, offense. As you mentioned, I mean, the NFC North, uh, you know, quarterbacks, such as Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, Case Keenum had, had a breakout year last year for Minnesota, and it only gets tougher now by substituting Case Keenum with uh, Kirk Cousins. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, that, that was key for the Chicago Bears this offseason was uh, being able to bring back Vic Fangio and throw him in with this uh, new coaching staff. 
Okay, I got one more that's directly from my buddy Matt Kleiman. He says, why are the Packers so unlikable? But <laughs> uh, as a Bears fan, but uh, no, all joking aside, you, you kind of started getting into it now with the with the division and who they're playing against. So what what is a successful season? Uh, eight and eight. Like what kind of a number do you think would be considered a nice big step in the right direction for the Bears? You know, it, it almost sounds sad, but I think if they can avoid double digit losses, if they can go seven and nine or better. Uh, you know, the, the schedule's pretty tough, too. If yeah. you're looking at it, of course, uh, opening night uh, at Green Bay, um, and then you talk about the division in the NFC North, um, if they could avoid double-digit losses, um, I think that'll that'll be okay, I suppose, for fans of the Chicago Bears. Well, I guess that would maybe be a... <laughs> you know, okay by, by most standards. But, you know, I think Bears fans have kind of been waiting for a long time yeah. to see this team turn around. There are uh, incremental steps that have to be taken. But, hey, let's face it. If there's ever a time period where teams can go from, you know, last to first and first to last, it's it's in, in modern-day NFL. So you well, never know what's going to happen. Standpoint, I mean, from where they from just from last year and two years ago, you now have a quarterback, you now have – some actual real talent at the wide receiving uh, wide receiver position. You have a coaching staff and a, and a fan base that just seems excited, you know? So it, it does feel a little bit different in that, you know, this year taking a step forward, the fan base would be excited because it feels like you're moving in the right direction In years past a six and 10 type season. It just feels like, where are we going? You know, at least they're moving in the right direction. I will say yeah. there are some fans that, that do expect it and really are uh, hoping, I guess is the right word, for a year like uh, Jared Goff and the Rams had last year or Carson Wentz and the Eagles had last year. Uh, you know, some are hoping for that big of a jump, you know, a playoff appearance. I'm not so sure it's going to happen this year, maybe year two under the new coaching staff and the new offense. But there are some out there that are, uh, you know, going uh, – full on out and saying, hey, you know, we, we have what it takes now. Well, uh, I guess to, to, to close on this note, they're going to have a uh, schedule makers didn't do them any favors. Four out of their no. last six games are on the road. The two that are at home are against the Packers and the Rams. And there's a Thanksgiving Day game in there where we all know that it's really tough to go from that Sunday playing game and then turn back around really quickly and play in those Thursday yeah. games. It's actually a Thursday morning game against Detroit. Uh, so schedule makers didn't do them any favors. Going to be a, a tough road for the Bears. You know, all in all, I think we're going to probably see a progression like you're talking about. And hopefully for Bears fans, it's just enough to get them excited about 2019 because most likely that's when uh, we're going to kind of see a real impact made. Before we let you go, why don't you tell us how people can follow you uh, on your, your podcast and your work on the NFL Draft Bible, et cetera. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Mike and Gino. Really appreciate it. I, I apologize if you hear the Windy City here in the background these last couple it's of minutes. It's authentic. We love it. Hey, that's, that's New York, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you guys can follow me on uh, Twitter, at Chris Shanafel. Um, basically, NFLDraftBible.com. You can view all my work there, not only uh, during draft season, but during football season as well, or even now I'm still flushing out some interviews with uh, you know pro or college players. So uh, NFLDraftBible.com is uh, basically the place to be and uh, you guys are great. Really appreciate you having me on this uh, afternoon. Thank you, guys. 
We love our relationship Always. with the NFL Draft Bible. That's where I go to get all my insight as an agent. So uh, I, I, I hope that all the fans out there of, of the site keep supporting it and, and keep going back to it because you're going to get a lot better content than you're going to find on some of the more mainstream commercial sites. As always, Chris, thank you very, mu- very, very much. And uh, say what's up to Big Rick over there. Oh, yeah. And uh, we will talk to you again as we get closer to the season. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate Chris awesome coming stuff. on with us. He's good stuff there, man. Really good stuff. Let's uh, let's talk about it for 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 a bit more right after this next commercial break, and uh, we'll also talk a little bit of hockey as well. So stay with us. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Thunder chickens beware, we're coming for ya. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, it's all about the Spring Gobbler Smackdown and our panel of pros are out for beards. Joining us is David Blanton of Bill Jordan's Realtree Outdoors and Monster Bucks, outdoor writer M.D. Johnson, and Pete Muller from the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Really enjoyed getting uh, Chris Schoenfeld's perspective from the NFL Draft Bible on the Chicago Bears. Gino, do you have any idea what the oh, – I don't, I don't know the answer. The over-under is uh, Vegas-wise? I'll, I'll look it up right now. Um, but th- what we've been doing is is awesome. I love that we're able to get – because we've talked about it. Our, our show, we don't really have like a template with our show. We just kind of go whatever's whatever's hot, whatever's going on in the sports world, whatever kind of we hear from the fans that they like. So some days it would be maybe if we went a full hour talking about 
just one team or one specific that who knows if if we might ostracize some of the other fans if you know but when we're able to do this and we go one segment and we're able to get like a 15 20 minute interview about each team and really go in depth I don't think there was that much more about the Bears that we really could have gotten into you know we got through all of the major the big storylines all of the stuff that you know, uh, some of the fans, as I mentioned, one of my buddies were, were curious and interested in. He had uh, all that stuff. That was just a really, really well-rounded interview. And I feel like I know the Bears now going into the season. I, I feel like yeah. I know what to look for, what to expect, um, where they might have some struggles. So I, I think it's a really, really great thing to get you set up when we are able to go team by team by team. No, that's a great point. You know, it's it gives you that familiarity with that club. And you know, obviously our goal, our objective here is to do just that, which is to, you know, provide, you know, some, some of the information to get you a little bit more familiar. Hopefully by so the, the time. So the Bears are, s- not, to, not to interrupt you, I just found the over-under. Six oh, go and for a half, I, I see. Um, so, yeah, that sounds about right. That's what they said. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would be tough to figure out where my dollar goes on that. I mean, getting seven wins, I think, would, would meet Chris's kind of criteria, which is no double-digit losses, right? So, uh I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I'm going to go under. Yeah, that's close. I mean, that's spot on. You know, the over is a, a positive, so they're um, they're sl- they're slightly leaning towards the under on that. But that's a that number looks pretty accurate. You know, they had five wins last year, so you know we expect. And remember, last year they had a couple of those games where they played really, really, really well against some of the good teams. You remember Pittsburgh early in the year. Um, they had another game where they. They should have won, but they dropped a uh, Howard dropped the ball in the end zone right then. So they could have won a couple more games also. So, I mean, we expect them to slightly improve. That's that number seems pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, uh, but you mentioned the tough schedule. That, very tough schedule. And, and I didn't mention I just mentioned the ending, you know, the, 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 the last quarter of the season uh, or a little bit more than that, I suppose. But they also have New England. You know, they've got the AFC East. They also have Seattle on their schedule. Arizona in Arizona, that's it's going to be a tough sledding for them this year. But, you know, um, like I said earlier, in the NFL, anything can happen. You could have quick well, one, turnarounds like any no like no other sport. One of the teams that they play at the end of the year, the Rams. We saw it last year in just one year. Exactly. You know, new, and, and the key is when you make the changes, new coaching staff, new, um, you know, you're going to have a new re- – Everything new implemented, new play calling, new offense, new deep, like just brand new everything. That's how teams can make massive improvements because they're really just changing everything and, and, and going at it a completely different way. So, yeah, it'll be fun to uh, I'm pumped for the Bears now um, as we get closer. Man, we're getting NFL we've seen and with NBA, too. There's no off season neither in either of these sports now. I no. mean, there really, there really aren't. Um, which is with, exactly with why we're media. doing these. Yeah, which is exactly why we're doing these team reports. Uh, uh, you know, as 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 often as we can. Obviously, you know, when we're when we're uh, you know right before the Kentucky Derby or maybe the Belmont, you know, the, the emphasis and the focus is going to be on you know those particular races or maybe a particular championship series or whatnot. But we're going to try to get every single team in before the start of the regular season, so that. You know, we we've got that exact type of thing that you're talking about, which is a little bit of flavor, a little bit of uh, you know, knowing what's going on heading into the season. Whether you're a casual fan, a hardcore fan, uh, a gambler, a fantasy football player, whatever the case may be, give you a little bit of insight and in-depth information from the insiders. Yeah, and I got to give it up one more time to my buddy because it's nice. Like I can, and you and I can look up 
stats and we can read articles. But when you talk to a fan, someone who roots for the team and who, you know, listens to all the podcasts and who knows everything that's going on and who just knows the vibe, you get the, the things that are important to them. So it was cool just having a conversation with my buddy, Matt. He was able to give me a list of, you know, 10 or 15 questions. He put a link up on Reddit and got a couple questions on them. And we we really hit on all of them. The, the things they're the most curious about is, you know, is uh, Trubinsky going to take that next step? Um, what kind of... Uh, you know, an offense and what kind of um, a character and what kind of a, a, a team organization is, is this coaching staff going to run? And we heard, you know, there's a lot of upside. There's a lot of positivity. Trubinsky talking about how, wow, I've never been a part of a coaching staff like this. So it was really good to get the fan feeling and to be able to get those questions answered. Appreciate Matt helping me out. And, uh, and, and, and one more thing about the division, by the way. What's really interesting to me is that there's there's a lot of change, right? We've got two new head coaches in the division, right? You've got uh, a new starting quarterback in the division. You know, there there there's some pretty key changes. You know, we'll see. You know, how how is Detroit finally able to take that step forward, right? How how is Aaron Rodgers post injury, you know, and 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 not having the greatest supporting cast. You know, how are the Bears in terms of taking a step forward? You know, it's it, it's going to be fun to see. It's not it's a boring division. That you, no. some, you you look at a couple of the divisions and there are some where you're like, eh, this team doesn't really have like very much storyline or like a narrative, you know, going into the year. They're just kind of there. That's not the case with this. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving pieces, and it'll be fun to see because, as you mentioned, in, in, more than any sport, the NFL, things can just tweak so, so differently from one year. Absolutely, next. and I bet you if, if you pulled the casual fan, they'd be surprised to hear that Green Bay only had seven wins last year. They were seven and nine. Detroit yeah. was second in that division. They were high-powered in terms of offense. I mean, they scored like 150 more points than Chicago did, and, and they still were only able to get nine wins. We'll see what Matt Patricia is able to do with them. I would suspect that Minnesota, even with a change of quarterback, is probably going to take a step back from 13-3. and three. It just uh, It's just tough to repeat, uh, you know, uh, have, you know, seasons in the back-to-back manner uh, like that in the NFL, unless you are the Patriots. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be, uh, it'll be really, really interesting. And, you know, we're looking forward to having those team reports on, on the rest of the teams in that division. seems like we've covered a lot of the, uh, the NFC so far. We'll also shift to the AFC as well. It'll all come in due time, no particular order, just kind of sporadic as it comes, as we're able to set up these type of interviews with the insiders and along the way, hopefully catch <laughs> some breaking news, right? Totally random, but uh, that's from Clueless. You remember the movie Clueless? The girl, I hope not sporadically when you use the word sporadic. That was that, that triggered immediately for me right there, Clueless. So I know some people out there know what I'm talking about. Big, yeah, you're, you're a big movie guy, so big <laughs> movie and music guy. Uh, not music to my ears, Gino, is having the same team in the finals four straight years. Ultimately, is this good for the NBA brand that we're seeing the Cavs and the Warriors part four? And... The second part of the question is, is it truly a rivalry if they meet up in the finals four times in, the, in a row? Or do you kind of have to be like a division rival like the Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, that type of thing? I do think this is a rivalry because these main pieces and the main parts know each other so well. The only thing is, is that it's got to be a little back and forth on the rivalry. And this one has kind of been more one-sided with the Warriors over the the Cavs. 
it's a well, weird. It's only two it's, to one so far, right? Yeah, yeah. It just feels like the ones that where they've beaten them, and 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 in this particular time without Kyrie, they just feel a little, a little less. Um, the one thing I will say, it's such a weird, um, it, it's such a weird line because if if this, let's say the NBA Finals are Toronto versus Houston, we're getting two new teams in there, but do people really care? On a national scam, grand scheme, you know, scheme. I don't think so. You know, everyone talks about how it's boring because these teams are there, but everyone's still going to watch the games. You know, you're That's saying what, these are the two teams ultimately America wanted. And see, I know it's always good when there's one team like this. It's just it's it's a little different when there's two. Like it's good to have uh, the big bad Heat or the big bad Lakers or the big bad Celtics. One team to try to dethrone. It's just a little different when you have two teams that are always there because now you basically turned LeBron into the underdog in a weird way, you know, because uh, he is. But it's it's funny to, th- to say that the best player on the on the planet is the underdog. Um, everybody knows these teams. Everybody knows these players. Everybody's going to be watching. So I think it is better. You know, we get a little bored out of it, but I think that's just the narrative from those of us who are sports fans who would just want to see a little something different because the average sports fan – they go, oh, that's LeBron. Oh, that's Steph Curry. Oh, that's Durant. They know all these guys. You know, if you're sitting in a bar or you bring one of your friends who doesn't know sports and they sit down next to you, they're still going to know these some of these players where they, they wouldn't. I mean, I love the Lakers. They're my team. But if the young Lakers were in the finals right now or if we had, uh, you know, Milwaukee, people are, who's Giannis? You know, and that that's what would be happening. So uh, it is better for, from a national standpoint when you have these two teams in because everybody knows who we're talking about. I agree with you there. So then let, let's turn the page then. The Warriors win in four, five, six. I think everybody's saying five, the gentleman sweep. You know, you'll probably get the one game at home where LeBron goes crazy. Um, I think the the way to play this series might be better. Um, is For me, I, did, I think the Warriors are going to win. So I think if you think the Warriors are going to win, you're better off playing the series, picking how many games they're going to win in. Because it'll inflate your value. So if you think they're going to win in five, you're going to get better value than just picking the Warriors to win the series if you try to pick it in exactly which number of games. And it's you know it's only going to be four, five, six, or seven if they win. And the way I, I think, I, I just don't think Cleveland's going to be able to beat them multiple times. And I think that another way you might be able to play this is MVP. Um, two, two interesting MVP that are double-digit odds that are like in the 15 to 20 to 1 range are Clay and Draymond. Those would be the two guys that I take a swing on because remember, Iguodala was the MVP a couple yep. of years back, and if, I think Clay is a good one. You know, because Clay can get very easily get hot for two games in a row and and win the MVP. And I think he was around double digits uh, from what I saw. So I, Durant and Curry are the obvious plays, but uh, Clay and Durant might be. If I were, I might put a few bucks on both of them. You know, because it would be worth it if just one of them were to hit. I very rarely bet two horses to win, but. In this situation, you like Golden State, you think they're going to win, so you're assuming the MVP is going to come from their team. You're thinking it's going to be one of four or five players. Because I heard one of the sportsbooks operators mentioning when they started to put the MVPs out, they couldn't really get past four or five for Golden State. So they said, you know what we have to do? we got to throw Swaggy P on there because we know some people are, wanna, are gonna gonna going to want to bet Swaggy P for the MVP. So Swaggy awesome. P's up on the line for, uh, for some of the books. Well, I'll tell you what, we, we have about a minute and a half left. 
I'm going to take a little bit of a contrarian viewpoint. Big surprise, right? I'm going to say Warriors in seven. I think Cleveland, because they've got the best player on the planet, are going to find a way to stretch this thing out. They're going to show the heart and the determination of LeBron James. What will happen after this series? That's going to be, I think, the the, the bigger storyline as uh, as as we uh, the, we'll, the summer we'll starts. We'll spend many shows talking about that. I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to hey, be fun. Well, we've got a few seconds left. Uh, how many seconds or minutes have you watched of the NHL finals? Oh, dude, it's been really, really good. I'm, I'm uh, NHL playoffs is when I'll tune in. I'm, I'm just not a, regu- a big NHL fan. I never played hockey growing up. I didn't have like an innate hockey knowledge. So for me, it was only when the Kings are good. I jump on the bandwagon and I'll watch them in the playoffs. But I've been really excited with the uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights phenomenon. And I'm rooting for Vegas because this is an incredible story in their expansion season to try to win a Stanley Cup. So really, really fun. And playoff hockey is, in my opinion, the best of all the playoffs. The intensity is incredible. So even if it you're is not intense. a hockey fan, I, I'll go with, I'll go with, yeah, I'll go with the MLB in terms of the best of the playoffs. We got about 10 seconds here. So uh, let's conclude by saying thank you to our guest, Chris Chainefelt. Thank you to all you listeners out there. Hope you enjoyed the show. Be with us next week as we are going to be covering the Belmont stakes, talking about if justify can get the coveted triple crown. Thank you, and have a great sports weekend. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.